Hey there. This is Story Story Late Night, the positively shameless black sheep of our Story Story Night family, where you hear bleep-worthy stories on an unblushing theme recorded live. I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. This episode is titled From Here to Christmas, as we were slapped clean out of July by the pandemic. Help us recover by giving us an early Christmas present and hit the support link on our website at storystorynight.org. This pause in programming has given us a chance to bring back some stories from the past that start in the dog days of summer and end with Christmas. Plus, there's an audience. Here is Nathaniel Hoffman, Steve Bush, and Crystal Moore. Merry Christmas. Here's Nathaniel. It's Late Night Stories. I didn't think I was going to get picked. This is my first time here. And so... uh, I didn't shave, and I'm about to tell you guys a story about my first summer in Idaho, uh, going down to the Salmon River, but it involves me looking like an FBI agent, and I don't really look like an FBI agent right now. So uh, I grew up on the East Coast in Baltimore, and I went to college in upstate New York, and after my freshman year, I'd never been out west before, freshman year, um, these two hippies came towards the end of the year to our campus, and one of them had a guitar. I think he's coming to town. Is Dave Rovix coming to town, the Earth First singer? I think he might be. The other one had a record, and uh, a criminal record. (laughs) And they had an amazing slideshow of the Frank Church wilderness, um, which I had never seen before. Salmon River, big trees, and then, you know, the fifth slide in, um, these big trees cut in half, and like the giant, you know, log that's bigger than the, the man, uh, bigger than the hippie. <laughs> and I kind of listened, I took notes, I sat in the back, um, I was involved with like the environmental club or something, and <clears throat> I wrote down Dixie, Idaho. They're, they're like, yeah, it's kind of near Dixie, Idaho. Has anybody been to Dixie, Idaho? A couple people, okay. So I had this little green notebook, like a little teeny, you know, one that fits in your breast pocket. I wish I had one right now. <clears throat> and uh, I got on a bus at the end of the I just called my mom and said, I'm going to go out west this summer. I got on a bus in Ithaca, New York, and got off a bus in Missoula, Montana. And I had a highway map of the west and a backpack and a sleeping bag. And I stuck my thumb out, and I headed to Dixie, Idaho. <clears throat> Not, I mean, most of you don't know where Dixie, Idaho is, but... Uh, I mean, we all live in Idaho, so we know sometimes roads end, right? <laughs> and you're, for, for a hitchhiker, that's not a great situation when the road ends. So I get to Grangeville, Idaho, from Missoula, and I see a rafting company. I'm like, oh, there's got to be hippies at a rafting company. <laughs> so I go, I got my backpack, and, you know, I'm clean-shaven, Ivy League boy with, like, Big backpack, with brand new backpack. And I'm like, hey, uh, I'm trying to get to Dixie. And the, the late, a very nice young lady who runs the rafting company, she's like, why do you want to go there? And I, I knew to be a little cautious, I, but she seemed nice. This is like an outdoor pursuit rafting, right? So I said, well, I'm going to find the Earth First camp. And that was not the right thing to say. She, 
She turned red and she said, why the hell would you want to do that? And this, this young woman who, you know, maybe could have been my peer at college, gave me a lecture about the logging industry, Idaho. This is my introduction to Idaho. And I kind of got, I weaseled my way out of it. I said, thank you. She didn't tell me where Dixie was, by the way. Uh, I looked closer at my map and I, you know, I saw Elk City, which is quite a bigger town than Dixie. This guy knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> Elk, Elk City, I don't remember the mileage, but it's at least like 30 miles on a dirt road, perhaps, from, from Grangeville, maybe more. So I'm sitting there in a ditch on a dirt road with my thumb out. Nobody's driving by. Eventually, some people come by, and they're like, where are you going? You know? I'm like, uh, just going to Elk City, you know? <laughs> just doing some backpacking. Um, I, it took me a long time, and I walked probably 15 miles, uh, but I eventually got to Dixie. And I don't see any Earth Firsters around Dixie. I did see a sign. There's one, there's a landing strip in Dixie, and there's a cafe. I assume it's still there. I, I'm going to go back soon, but uh, the sign on the cafe said, no Earth Firsters allowed. <laughs> somewhat, somewhat like the laundromat in, uh, in wherever your husband was. But I wasn't, I was, at this point, I guess I realized that there was sort of a game going on here. So I was just a college boy out backpacking in Idaho from, you know, from Baltimore. Um, again, you know, I didn't have the camo hat. Uh, I had a grilled cheese sandwich. And I'm sitting there in this cafe. I was a vegetarian, too, by the way, at the time. <clears throat> sitting in this cafe, and a bunch of old guys come in, and sit down next to me, and they're like, you heard about the Earth Firsters? <laughs> I'm eating my sandwich, and the, and the guy's like, no, where are they at? And uh, he's like, oh, you know, 20 miles up the road, you see another road. He gives them directions. And I take my little green book out, and I'm writing down. <laughs> I eat my sandwich, I'm very sly, close up my book, go outside, and then a guy in a VW, an old guy in a VW bus with like, he had reupholstered the inside of the VW bus with uh, some leopard skin. He comes by, and he's been there a thousand times. He's going down to the Salmon River. I don't tell him what I'm up to. I tell him I'm backpacking. He gives me this awesome tour. We go down to the river. We drive all around. And then uh, I basically tell him what I'm up to. And he drops me off on the road. I got to finish up, Darren. Anyway, the point is, I get there, and they think I'm an FBI agent. Thank you. It might be Earth first, but Steve Bush is second. Back in Cleveland, Ohio, what we like to do as oh yeah, I, I see that. I, uh, what we like to do as in teenage as a teenager is camp out. But camping out was a lot different than camping out that I've been exposed to here in Idaho. We our camping out was a matter of pitching a tent in our backyard and having three or four guys sleeping until your parents went to sleep, and then getting up and trying to find out what kind of mischief you could get into at night. And so I was uh, camping out with Jim and Wayne, and uh, we were sitting around talking about what we were gonna do that night, and we decided that the best thing to do that night was to hike down the street to uh, Jeannie and Janie's house, who are twins, and had a swimming pool, and we would go swimming that night. 
And so um, we thought it was great. And then we got into an argument about what would be the best way to do that. And Wayne was a very, uh, very much an exhibitionist, and he wanted to go naked. And uh, <laughs> Jim and I didn't think that was a good idea. So we decided that the best thing to do is to go in our white jockeys. And so we went down the street in our white jockeys. And, and, uh, and as we went down, about two or three cars went by. And Wayne, the exhibitionist, uh, we, Jim and I would run as soon as a car came within view. And we'd hide behind some bushes. Well, Wayne would stand out in the middle of the road, <laughs> and wiggle around, and exhibit. And, uh, and then at the last minute, when the car was about 50 yards away, we'd run into the bushes and hide. And uh, this happened about two or three times on our way down. And then we went down, and we got down to Jeannie and Janie's house. And I said, now we've got to sneak in there. We'll take off our, our, jockey, our, you know, our, our uh, jockeys, and, and we'll sneak into the pool. And you've got to be very quiet and just paddle around and not make any noise. Well, OK, so we, we climbed over the fence. Had to be very careful, you know, they had a chain link fence with things on the top. And, um, and so we got in there, we took off our, our jockeys, and we went into the pool, and I'm swimming around real quiet and paddling around. And uh, I look around, and there's Jim right next to me, and I said, Where, where's Wayne? <laughs> the exhibitionist, you know? And I look up to my horror, and there's Wayne on the diving board, and he's, he goes bong real loud, goes yippee in the air, and makes a big splash into the pool. And two nanoseconds later, all the lights in the house come on. And so we, uh, we climbed over the fence. We'd have, we picked up our jockeys, and we didn't have time to put them on. And we were more, a little more careful this time going over the fence. <laughs> and, uh, and so we went running across the backyards, which are just grass. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced about three guys running across the grass at night. You don't hear anything. There's no cars. No noise, and the moon's out, the stars are out, and all you hear is a gentle. <laughs> you must have heard that before. <laughs> Anyways, um, the gentle paddling of, of uh, certain things, paddling. Well, anyways. And it was really funny because we all heard it at the same time, and we, and we just fell over laughing. We just we couldn't stand it. And... Um, so we got, after we got done laughing, we stood up and we put our, our jockeys back on. And we started back to the road. And, uh, and we're going up the road and a, a car starts coming down the road. And so we were in front of this house and I figured the car's just going to go by. So I hid behind this little bush about this high and, uh, in my white jockey shorts. And uh, Jim ran around behind the house. And Wayne, of course, was out in the middle of the street going like this and ran away at the last second. Well, the car went by, and then it stopped, and then it backs up, and then it pulls into the driveway, and it stops right next to me. And I'm behind this little bush, you know. And I'm, I'm about six foot tall at that time, and in my white jockeys, and um, <laughs> I hear somebody get out of the car, and they walk towards the bush. And then they start walking around the bush. And I'm crawling around the bush. <laughs> and I keep, and we go around the bush completely. And uh, then I hear this voice, a familiar voice, saying, Steve, what are you doing? And I stood up and I said, oh, hi, Dad. 
And so I had to uh, ride home that night on that dog day summer night. It was also a hot summer night. And I had a lot of explaining to do on that, that hot summer night. Thank you. I'll explain this. Our last storyteller is Crystal Moore. So several years ago, about three days before Christmas, I found myself, and bear with me here, in a bathroom with a gay man telling me how to stick ecstasy um, in my rear for an even higher high. And I didn't realize at the time how very, very wrong that entire situation was. Partly because I had already snorted one ecstasy pill and eaten two others, and partly because gay men are really convincing when it comes to anal issues. (laughs) So I took his advice and proceeded with the evening. Everything seemed as safe as it could be, all things considered. I wasn't going to be raped or anything. And uh, as the night went on, things just got stranger and stranger, and eventually I found myself lying in this dark room. My friends passed out from the night's excitement. Staring up at the ceiling, my heart just pounding out of my chest and thoughts of paranoia and shame flooding my mind. And then suddenly images of comfort began to dance in front of my mind's eye. Namely, Peanuts characters. I saw my mom as Sally, my dad as Linus, and so on and so forth with everybody in my life until I got to myself. And when I got to myself, I started thinking about my life and the places I'd been. Charlie Brown danced in front of my drugged up eyes, and I had an epiphany. I am Charlie Brown, I affirmated. That's right, I will make up words. I will put words together. William Shakespeare can do that, so I can do that too. So yes, I affirmated this to the room of incapacitated adolescence, and then everything disappeared. Now, jump into a time machine with me here, and we're going to rewind one year. I'm married, I own a home in Weezer, and I'm a Sunday school teacher at the Mormon church. (laughs) What? (laughs) I know, right? How did that progress to the previous scene? Well, like most good Mormon girls, I graduated high school and got married But unlike most good Mormon girls, I lived with my boyfriend for two years prior to. So at the urging of my unrealistically good family, we decided to shit rather than get off the pot. So we got hitched at what will go down in history as the worst wedding I have ever attended. (laughs) A great deal in part because we were not in love. And partly because I had this boy short haircut and I have this like very young round face, so I looked like Peter Pan. And 
If you're getting married and you look in the mirror and you think, wow, I really look like Peter Pan, you should leave. <laughs> you should go very far away on a long vacation. <laughs> so I didn't. And that blessed union turned into a blessed train wreck and fast. Uh, the pressures of matrimony and mortgages and Mormonism made me want to slip my wrists. So I did. I was clearly unsuccessful. But all of that turned into a divorce, which turned into a foreclosure on the home that we had purchased just two years prior to. Now, nobody, literally nobody in my family had ever been through a divorce, so nobody really knew how to help. And frankly, I just really did not want the advice of a married couple that was just so sickeningly in love that you could vomit. My parents are adorable, okay? If you've ever met my parents, they're the most precious, adorable, hardworking, very grounded little Christmas elves. <laughs> We're all about this size. It's like hobbits. But they appear as two teenagers in love even today. I could not live with these people at this time of my life. So I left. I just drove to Boise one day, and I didn't look back. And before I knew it, I was having all kinds of new experiences. <laughs> I smoked pot for the first time, which actually made me feel more normal than I had ever felt before. Um, I could talk to people, I had friends, but friends will get you into trouble. <laughs> and I had no way of knowing what I was getting myself into. So with each new drug I tried and each new sexual encounter, I hurled myself farther and farther away from everything that I had come from, all the while knowing in my heart that this new lifestyle was probably going to catch up to me and always feeling t torn between these two extremes, like I could only be one or the other when, in all honesty, I never set out in life to be either of these two people. So, back in the time machine, and we're going to fast forward to the morning that I woke up after my little peanuts trip on ecstasy. I'm on a couch in a trailer in Garden City, which is really alarming because that's not where the party was and that's not where everything disappeared. And I have no idea how or when I got here. So I got up and I went to the bathroom as most of us do when we get up. And what I saw in the mirror that day horrified me. And I'm moderately cute. I've been moderately cute my whole life. I don't often look in the mirror and find myself horrified. So this was a really bad morning. Like, I had been shit at and hit. I just looked strung out. And I started to panic, and I hollered out into the hallway, Yo, is, is anybody there? Is, what day is it? Christmas Eve, I heard somebody holler back, and panic mode just instantly hit. It is Christmas Eve. I have got to get to Weezer and visit my family. Of all the things that I have done this year, I cannot miss Christmas, or they will really know something's up. 
so I clean myself up the best I can and begin the journey north, which to this day I have zero recollection of. I literally do not remember leaving Garden City. I do remember getting to my parents' couch and falling asleep. And when I woke up, I felt much better because apparently all you need when you're strung out is a lot of sleep. So I woke up, but it was really weird because my dad was the only person there. And I just, it was a very weird moment. Christmas is a big deal at my house. Everybody's there. It's very loud. They're Christmas elves. Like, it's madness. So he looks over at me and he says, wow, you were really sleepy. And I (laughs) said, yeah, it was a long drive. (laughs) Where is everybody? Let's do Christmas. Chris, honey, Christmas was yesterday, he said. And then we just stared at each other for what felt like an eternity. The thing about being Charlie Brown... (laughs) is that you're always in a pickle. It somehow works out in the end, just before you find yourself in another pickle. But this pickle was a doozy. How am I even going to save face here? How can I look this man in the eyes? There he is, as stern and gentle as he had always been with each one of his girls. My father was a natural detective. And I knew this about him. This wasn't something he ever did to pay the bills. He was really, really good. As if reality were set before him plain and clear. He just knew the truth. Always. So his eyes stared right through me. Right through my walls. And into my soul. And I knew. Looking into his eyes that he knew exactly what I had been up to. And then his mouth opened, and sheer terror ran rapidly through my body. Here I am with nothing. Nothing to give anyone for Christmas. Nothing to support myself with. Quite literally, nothing. And I do not want this man to know that I'm in this state. I, I do not want to admit that my father, a good and decent man who had spent my lifetime putting drug dealers and child molesters behind bars, had raised a homeless drug addict. And then audible noise left his mouth. I'm really so happy you could make it for Christmas, was all that he said. Before he just took me in his arms and helped me. Grace had saved me that day, and I didn't even know what it was. On the drive back to Boise that night, I couldn't help but feel relieved and ashamed. My father loves me, even as a homeless fuck-up, pardon the French. He loves me so much that he didn't even shame me in what was, in truth, a shameful situation. 
he just brought everybody out, and we celebrated Christmas as if I hadn't shown up strung out and wasted. Bottom line, I am one goddamn lucky Charlie Brown. God had taken me out of that extremely uncomfortable pickle (laughs) and reminded me that I'm too good for what I had allowed myself to become. My father knew this, but he didn't say anything. He let me figure it out on my own. I realized that day that while I couldn't be this good little Mormon girl I had tried so hard to be, I could not be this drug addict with nothing either. I quit that lifestyle and I found one more comfortably in the middle. It was a whole new day and I was a whole new crystal. Thank you for listening. Story Story Night is funded in part by the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you to our media sponsors, Boise State Public Radio and Radio Boise. Our summer season sponsor is the Over 19 Adult Shop. Our theme song was composed by Ned Evett. Support the storied program, get tickets to our live show, and stay tuned at www.storystorynight.org or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Story Story Night. We will be back with new content next month from Forbidden Planet, which brings Crystal Moore back to our stage after eight years. Find out if she's teaching Sunday school again. Also, check out our YouTube channel. I'm Jody Eichelberger. Thanks for being a part of our story.